says. And to all of those that would like to destroy the future of the greatest country in the world, our message to them is the same as my grandfather's. Them that's going, get on the wagon. Them that ain't, get out of the way. Herman Cain. Herman Cain. Solutions for a better America. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, filling in for Herman Cain. I'm not going to start singing, though I threatened to do so to Shaney B. <laughs> the phone number is 877-310-2100. It is about seven after the hour, and I'm going to talk to Jamie Dupree, who Eric, suffered how you doing, through buddy? Benghazi. I am fine. I hope you are recovered. You know, uh, look, uh, it was an interesting day. Hillary Clinton came out uh, today very much uh, smiling and upbeat, feeling good, I think Democrats are, about her testimony. Uh, Are there some things in there that Republicans will be able to take advantage of and go after? Sure there are. But I I don't know. Overall, I think still most people here feel like that she got the better of the encounter yesterday. Yeah, and I'm one of them, although I do think that when her polling is so focused on the trust issue the the exchange over the video and her emails about uh it was a terrorist attack i i think the republicans may get something out of that but that seems like that might be the only thing i still think the email setup and her server is more politically potent against her than benghazi is i mean i i get why the republicans have uh, tried to go after her on benghazi but for the most part it's an issue that plays just to their base not to people who are thinking about voting for Hillary Clinton. Right. Yeah, and that's that's my concern, too, on this one, is it, it, it seems like Democrats will just like her more and Republicans will like her less, and uh, the 70% of people who aren't paying attention could care less. Yeah, and, you know, let's let's be honest. This has been the best 10-day stretch for her maybe in her entire life uh, lately right. in politics. I mean, to have the good debate she had last week, uh, to have Joe Biden not get in the race. I mean, Jim Webb and Lincoln Chafee dropping out aren't much, but it's just sort of one more thing. And then throw in there uh, the the uh, the Benghazi hearing. Uh, I mean, I think two weeks ago, a lot of people were saying, oh, ho, ho, boy, it's going to be tough. You know, she's going to get ripped apart in this debate. Joe Biden's going to get in. Then she's going to get slaughtered before Republicans. None of that happened. Jamie, there's a, a real and serious issue shaping up in Washington, D.C. Very few people are talking about with the departure of Lincoln Chafee. How is this country ever going to go to the metric system? He was just millimeters from the White House was the joke today that I was hearing. Yeah. You know, let's let's be honest uh, and, and real quick because we shouldn't waste too much time on it. But, right. you know, Lincoln Chafee and Jim Webb, um, God bless them. They're both very nice people. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, the news media is just being nice to them, as in a sense they've been nice to Lindsey Graham and others. Uh, at some point, the you know things drum people out of the race, and actually, uh, that's why I think the the debates have been so good because they have winnowed the field. Right, they've pushed people out on the Republican side, they've elevated people on the Republican side, they've pushed people out on the Democratic side, and really, uh, Martin O'Malley now I think is under even more pressure actually after two other people got out of the Democratic race. Now maybe he can start to make a play, but you'd have to say that when you dig into the numbers. Uh, the, dep- the the refusal of Joe Biden to run only helps Hillary Clinton. Now, we should get right to this. N- the new polling from Iowa today is something I don't think we can ignore. Right. Two days in a row, we've had polls and, and legitimate polls. Today, it's the Des Moines Register that show Ben Carson ahead in Iowa and Donald Trump in second. This is the first time that Trump has not been in first place in Iowa since July when he took over from Scott Walker. And that persnickety in- intern of his yesterday on yes, Twitter. Yes, insulting Iowa voters, <laughs> yes. Now, I'm not about to say that, oh, this is it. This is it for Trump. He's going down the tubes now. But digging in deep into the Des Moines Register poll, there was something that really caught my eye. 
and that is the people who really uh, view Trump favorably and are on board with him. This is from the, the Des Moines Register poll. 69% of them would be first-time caucus goers. In other words, yeah. 69%, almost 7 out of 10 people that are for Trump in that poll don't go to the Iowa caucus. And most of the time, what that tells you as a political reporter and a strategist is most of them won't get there this time either. Right. And not only that, but we, we now have the news report out subsequently confirmed by multiple outlets that Trump has not obtained yet a voter file in yes. Iowa or New Hampshire. Which is, um, I mean, you explain what that is, because most people won't know. It's 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 bizarre that you don't right. have that as a campaign, right? Yeah, and for those who don't know, a voter file shows you who all who actually votes, because not everybody does, whether they're Republican or Democrat, and whether they've actually gone to a caucus or primary before. And if you're in a primary caucus, you want to focus on the people who have, in fact, had a history of going to caucuses and primaries. It saves you time, because not everybody's going to show up. No, the, I mean, the biggest, the, the biggest sort of red flashing light is often when, as a reporter, you interview people, and, you know, who'd you vote for last time? Well, I didn't vote. And you automatically almost think to yourself every time, yeah, you're not going to vote this time either, are you? Right. And, I mean, and you hate to say that, but that's what you find a lot of times. And and so I, I highlight that about Trump. Again, I'm not saying he's going down the tubes, but two polls in a row in Iowa uh, and him not being in front, that's important. The other important story that's just come out from Bloomberg, I don't know if you've seen this, is that Jeb Bush is uh, doing across-the-board pay cuts for his campaign yeah. workers, getting rid of some senior staffs, uh, staff members, cutting down on the overhead. And so he's clearly now trying to retool and save money, or else he's going to face the same situation that Scott Walker went through a few An weeks 86 ago. An 86% burn rate for Jeb Bush. That's huge. No, that's bigger than Hillary Clinton, and she's been burning a lot of money. Yeah, the, yeah. the only guy I know who had a higher burn rate at this time was Mitt Romney in 2011 had a 3-to-1 spending-to-income ratio. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it really is a big deal, and one of the things Jeb did early on was he went in and he hired up campaign staff who had committed to other candidates to keep them from working for those candidates, yep. and now it's coming back to haunt him. Yeah, you don't have enough. I mean, you can raise all the super PAC money you want, but you still have to raise the hard money directly from people to pay those who are working on your campaign. And I'm going to be interested to see who gets cut loose from there. Because like Walker, there were some people who came from the Hill here who went to work for Jeb Bush down there in Miami. Well, you know, I, I hate to get into these historic comparisons because they so often fall out. But I thought it was, I think it was Alex Castellanos in the Des Moines Register uh, story pointed out, or it might have actually been the reporter who pointed out that no candidate who has lost the polling average lead in Iowa after the, the prior October has ever regained the polling lead. Uh, yeah, I still back to the think 70s. that if Scott Walker, I still think if he had, he didn't have such huge overhead that he could have at least found some way to come back a little. Maybe I'm dead wrong about that. But it just seems like that uh, he was prepared almost like he was running in the general election, right. just like Jeb Bush prepared almost like he was running in the general election. On the flip side, there's a lot of people here in D.C. who wonder about Marco Rubio, that maybe he doesn't have enough of a campaign structure in a campaign organization. Yeah, in fact, you know what? I'm going to, because I've got this quote and I lost it. Yeah, let me read you this quote. I want your reaction to this. Um, this is Rich Beeson talking, deputy campaign manager. One of the biggest mistakes you could make in a presidential primary like this is to make mistake action for progress. The days of having a 50 field staffers and 25 offices are done. We can have a field office and staff set up in a Starbucks with wireless and get just as much done as we can in a brick and mortar office with landlines. And my reaction that was yeah but you still need the 50 field staffers yeah that i mean that might work in um florida and georgia later on and when you have momentum but 
boy, Iowa and New Hampshire are so staff intensive in terms of organization. You just, I mean, I guess you can overcome it, but I, I just think you've got to have those people on the ground. Can you lash it together at the last minute? Yeah, I guess. But, I, you know, it's one of those hard things to figure out because you go back and look at it and you can say, well, this guy got everything in order and it didn't work for him or this person uh, didn't do much. But I don't know. At some point, you got to start putting down those roots, especially in Iowa. Hey, before you get out of here, the president vetoed the disf- defense spending bill yesterday, bipartisan legislation, uh, and there are mixed messages. I-, I think some conservative groups are saying, well, it was because he wanted more domestic spending, and others are saying it had that persnickety provision that prevents him from closing Guantanamo Bay, and he was opposed Se- to that. Yeah, several things in there. It's it's actually not the funding bill for defense. It's what's known as the authorization bill. It sets the policy, and it sets that's the overall budget numbers, but it is a budget fight here. The, the Republicans want to add about 38 to $39 billion for the defense budget. Uh, the president basically says, and Democrats say, you want extra money for defense? Yeah, we'll give you that if you give us, you match it for domestic spending. And so that's uh, sort of what the, the, the crux of this dispute is, is that Democrats would like to uh, break the, the budget caps on the sequestration and find a way to funnel more money into domestic social spending programs as well. Now, you know, we're in this divided situation right now where I think there are a lot of Republicans that don't want to go through with the the defense budget where it is right now. They want to add more money in. Well, you know, the deal might have to be that you have to add more money for the other side, too. I don't know how this is going to get brokered, but this is the basic issue over the next couple of months as they try to figure out the budget for this fiscal year. It seems like you've got a growing movement also among some of the Republicans who are ready to move beyond sequestration, and uh, none of these fights seem to really help uh, move the needle one way or the other, and Republicans are just getting mad at each other over these things. Yeah, well, look, uh, but this is going to be a test for Paul Ryan as the new speaker, because I think you'll have a lot of people in the Republican Party that don't want to give in to the Democrats on that. And yet, uh, you know, there's no real way. What's the answer to get more money for defense? I don't know that there is an answer there. You don't control the Senate. Uh, well, I mean, you do, but you don't have 60 votes. You you don't have the White House, so you're not going to be able to uh, jam anything by. Here's an emerging story, too. The House right now is voting on a reconciliation bill yes. that includes a repeal of some, but not all, of the Obama health law. The reason you can only do some is only some of it was approved under budget reconciliation, which is the ability to get a bill through the Senate without a filibuster, or just on a simple majority. Well, because the bill is not going to repeal all of the health law, Senators Cruz, Rubio, and Lee have now said they'll vote against it. So the irony here is, after all that yelling and screaming among Republicans about, we've got to get a bill down to the president to repeal the Obama health law, Eric, they may not even be able to get it to the president's desk. Now, to get him know, to veto I saw it. some chatter about this yesterday in my emails that one of the objections from the senators is that the Senate parliamentarian has already said that this this partial repeal measure is going to get struck before it even gets considered in the Senate. Well, not the partial, but the full. They had to change it in the House. Uh, they had the full repeal, and then they rolled it back to just a partial because I know this goes back in old stuff, but there were only a few provisions about the right. Obama health law that went through in budget reconciliation with that 51-vote uh, majority. It was all you needed. And because of the way the budget rules are structured, only some of the Obama health law can be repealed via that process. and Otherwise, the parliamentarian would, would stop it and would rule it against the rules. So that's the limits that you have. 
and it's not good enough. And that's been the problem, really, for the Republican Party, is that there's always something that's not enough. But here's this opportunity for them to finally get something down to the president. I'm not sure they're going to be able to agree on doing it. Hey, before you get out of here, uh, you and I are going to be in Boulder next week for this Republican yes. debate. And there's an interesting non-political story shaping up that's going to drown out all the coverage. Literally, this massive hurricane coming from, from Mexico. I don't know that we're going to have a, a ton of political traction until we get there next week. And we've seen the poll numbers continue to shake up every time there's a debate. What are you looking for? Yeah, well, I, I you know, you have to think about how is the field going to get winnowed this next time to me the great uncovered story of the last four weeks eric is the rise and the big fall of carly fiorina yes she has not been able to capitalize on the publicity from the first debate she did it into the second and then it just sort of went poof and went away and you know i I think that we watch what fiorina does and i think we got to start paying more serious attention to rubio and cruz to see what they're up to as well yeah i've been saying for i still my gut tells me that it's going to wind up being a cruz rubio primary i think the establishment would love for uh, carson to win in iowa Mm -hmm. then they can go oh yeah that's just iowa santorum won there last time just don't uh, ignore that and then see if they can out Fox Cruise in New Hampshire and South Carolina. I agree. Jamie Dupree, great as always. See See you next week.